You're listening to the Common Descent Podcast. And welcome to Spooculative Evolution. Hello, David. Well. <laughs> and hello, listeners. Serpents don't make a lot of noise. They don't make a lot of noise. <laughs> I, listen, I started this bit two years ago, and I've had to get really creative about yep. it. <laughs> You, you, Let's see how that look, that turns up on the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> hello, Will, and hello, everybody. Welcome back to Spooky. Episode two of our 2020 series. Sea Monsters. Sea Monsters. Yes, we are on our second episode where we will be discussing sea serpents. As was evident from the splashing noise. Yes, because what else would make that kind of splash? <laughs> it's very distinctive. So... Spooky, once again, for anyone who might be checking in on episode two, is our series where we take classic, mythical, monstrous movie creatures and think, how could something like that, resembling it with those features, evolve by the normal mechanisms of natural selection and Earth evolution? Right. How can we use natural processes to arrive at something worthy of mythology or cinema, or wherever we're pulling our monsters yes, from. Yes, that if presented to someone, they'd call it whatever the monster is right. that we're working on. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what we're going to do. It's meant to be fun. It's meant to be a little silly. And we get to add another creature to the monster, to the spooky verse. Right. You can't say monster verse. I can't say monster verse. I know. That's taken. Right. That's, <laughs> this is our spooky verse. We're going to get a call from <laughs> <laughs> from Universal. From Universal. <laughs> Last episode, we started sea monsters with the Kraken. The Kraken. This time, a little bit of a broader uh, Mm -hmm. subject that I'm a bit excited about. Absolutely. (laughs) Sea serpents. So while the Kraken was probably the most, like, well-described of sea monsters, sea serpents are probably the most, like, I don't know if I want to say the most generic. But, like, if you got a sea monster... A des- describing it as serpent-esque is fairly normal. Right. Sea serpent's kind of a catch-all it's, term. Yeah, it's... it's There is no sea serpent. There is no... Uh, oh, right, the sea serpent. Right. But there are so many sea serpents, so, you know, monstrous serpents of the oceans in various cultures, stories from different times, and they don't have similar features. It's just they are a serpentine creature that's very big. In the ocean. Right. And that's basically it. So this is going to be very... It's sort of the opposite of last time, where we had the Kraken. We were given our taxa. Right, exactly. Cephalopoda, go. Now we have long and skinny, go. Right. <laughs> Which is not as unique as you might think it is. No, it is not. <laughs> so, as as is tradition, before we get into working the gears of natural selection... What are we working? What are we working towards? Now, let's take a little look back on what sea serpents have been. And as we were just saying, because they're so generic, their history is long, but it is also random. And very narrow. Very narrow. Yes. Uh, and, and sinuous. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so there are tons of stories of various sea serpents. Sometimes it's just a sea serpent. You know, nothing really more than that. Uh, a lot of the firsthand reports are just of a serpentine ocean-going creature. And that's it. They don't, you know, name it as like, it looked like that one from a story. Yeah, just, we saw a big serpent. Right. Something that moved like a serpent, which, if you think about it, 
could be a shark. It yep. could be a sea snake. It could be an eel. It could yep. just be any kind of fish. Yeah, there's tons of things that could fit that description. But there are some famous serpents of you know, sea serpents, uh, or at least they're often grouped among the sea serpents in historical stories. Lots of sea dragons, mm-hmm. and dragons traditionally were very serpentine. Right. In the older stories, before they became the more Arcosaurian, you know, long-necked crocodile. Right, the sort of European mm-hmm. uh, forearms and wings kind of yeah. creature. Typically... Four limbs, I guess. Yeah, typically they were more serpentine, long and right. wriggly and sinuous. Dragon Ball style. Yes. So lots of sea dragons. There are some famous named ones like Tiamat, the Mesopotamian sea dragon. Yep. Which is like a god of chaos. Yep. Known for D&D, except the D&D one has five heads. Yes, exactly. Which, once again, has become more European dragon. Right. <laughs> uh, Greek mythology is full of serpent-esque sea creatures. Uh, Cetus is sometimes described as a sea serpent. That's okay. the one that was in the story of Perseus that they renamed the Kraken of Clash of the Titans that we right. mentioned last episode. Scylla of Scylla and Charybdis is is the multi-headed hydra est is sometimes called a serpent because it had these big long necks, you know, with toothy mouths. The hydra is often called a sea serpent because it was associated with the water. There's also the famous Norse world serpent. Uh, That's Jormungundr. Which is the the serpent so long it could wrap itself around Midgard here on Earth. Yeah. And is destined to fight Thor and Ragnarok because it, it Norse sure mythology is better than everyone else's. <laughs> <laughs> it's real cool. I recently listened through the audiobook of Neil Gaiman's North Mytho- mm-hmm. Norse mythology. And yeah, I got to listen to when Thor fought Jormungundr. Yeah. Spoilers during Ragnarok. And it was super cool. It's when well, I love that the concept <laughs> that it's like. They hate each other because someday we're going to fight each other. Right. We both know because of the prophecy, and I don't like you because of it. And yep. it's, that's so weird, and Doesn't I love it. Doesn't work out well for anybody. So there are tons of references. There's biblical references, mm-hmm. uh, which we'll mention later on in Spooky. Uh, but throughout history, various stories, some named, some generic. Uh, there's the famous moment in the Iliad when they're about to accept the wooden horse, one of the priests comes and says, no, don't like, it's going to be a trick. And then Poseidon sends a sea serpent to eat him <laughs> so that he doesn't tell them about the soldiers and the horse. And then they can take down. Right. They just got some sea serpents hanging around. Yeah. So sea serpents are all over the place. Eyewitness accounts go way, way, way back. Right. And we're talking, like we said last time with the Kraken accounts from people who claim to have seen these mythological or mistaken yes. creatures. An eyewitness account is just an account from someone who said they saw something. Right. No more than that. Eyewitness accounts are actually one of the least reliable forms of evidence, both when dealing with mythological creatures, but also in crime. Mm-hmm. Like, we are notoriously bad at actually remembering what we saw, especially in tense situations or uh, situations of high danger. Right. So... Eyewitness accounts are typically not great. And I think uh, for more of a discussion, and we didn't really go into this last episode, but we talk a lot, especially in this series, Mm -hmm. we're talking a lot about people who saw stuff in these accounts. And I I would encourage you, if you haven't already, to go listen to episode 46 on cryptozoology, where there was a bit of discussion that we had there about where this comes from and why people end up coming out of these circumstances thinking they saw things 
that don't actually really make sense to have seen. Absolutely. Because unlike our first two episodes of Spooky, which dealt with definite monsters. Yeah, right. these our are... first two seasons, uh, classic yes. movie monsters, and then mythological creatures. Yeah, these were storybook monsters. You know, they were monsters made for stories. A lot of these come about, you know, the stories of the Kraken started as stories from eyewitnesses, people saying they saw the Kraken. Right. Sea serpent stories also have most of their history in sailors coming back and saying they saw this creature. Right. So it, it's it's the mythological version of the fisherman who the fish gets bigger every yes, time they tell yeah, the story. Yeah. Well, and <laughs> this is where we're kind of bridging that mythology and cryptozoology. Yeah. Like this is sort of a transitional sea monsters hold a weird category in that many of them are in stories, but there's also lots of accounts of sh- you know whole crews reporting they saw this creature. Right. Even though there's no evidence for that creature. One of the first uh, uh, of these accounts that I was able to find was from Aristotle. Of course it was. Who quoted Posidonius, who was another philosopher sometime between 130 and 50 BC, who had a story of seeing a, a, a mighty sea serpent. There are also some like famous ones, once again, from Norway, like the stories of the Kraken. So we're about 1000 AD. But then once again, much like with the Kraken, the 19th century, the 1800s, sees a resurgent in stories as sailing becomes a huge part of our economy. And we have tons of crews out on the water of the world economy, mm-hmm. not just ours, but human economy. And stories start coming back of large serpentine creatures out on the ocean. Okay. Now, like the Kraken, there are lots of stories of sea serpents attacking ships. Uh, but most of the accounts are just sightings. Right, I saw something swim by. And none of us could explain it, and we were all unnerved by it. But yeah, we saw a sea serpent. You know, so it's still, uh, they are freaked out, but most of them aren't claiming they were attacked. They're just reporting a sighting. And once again, we actually see Sir William Jardine, who wrote about the Kraken, and also has a section in one of his books about the sea serpent. And... By this time, the sea serpent had actually gone a step further than the Kraken and had gotten a scientific name. Oh, cool. Uh, they called it the Great American Sea Serpent because so many stories were coming back from American vessels about sea serpents that they assumed there must be a sea serpent somewhere in, I think it was the Atlantic initially, and then stories started coming from all over because everyone can tell stories. Right. <laughs> and the scientific name it was given was Scoliophus Atlanticus fascinating right ophis is snake mm-hmm. we see that a lot in a lot of modern snakes and a google search that i just did that we edited out uh, <laughs> i looked up what scoliosis means mm-hmm. and assuming it's the same root scolio means bent yeah because it's so perhaps a bend bending or curving snake yeah because it's the, the same root for the when you have bent spine right 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 yep. exactly and so this was once again, a creature that at this time, by professionals, was considered to be real, part of the taxonomic order of animals. Right, there's a species out there of sea serpent. Of the great sea serpent. And they even had descriptions. Uh, there was acknowledgement of the fact that we don't know what it's like because we don't have one. Mm-hmm. We only have various accounts, some of which kind of contradict each other and some of which are a little bit different. You know, behavior doesn't seem to always be the same, but there were a few accounts. The famous one, which got a lot of attention, 
was the HMS Daedalus in 1848, which reported to a newspaper. The crew gave their accounts of their sea serpent sighting off the Cape of Good Hope in St. Helena, where they said they saw a sea serpent swimming with four feet, you know, so just over a meter of head and neck sticking out of the water. Mm-hmm. And they believed there to be another 60 feet or 18 meters of animal underneath the waves. All right. They described it as having some sort of mane-like uh, 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 feature on the neck. Okay. Which is so actually... Like, like a horse's mane? Yeah, kind of like thing? a horse's mane. And that's actually very common with a lot of accounts is described as a horse-like head with a mane of some sort down the neck. And some descriptions actually give it limbs. Uh, okay. Not as serpentine as you might expect hmm. in all accounts. In the book, in in the Naturalist Library book, they had two different drawings. One was basically a gilled serpent it had, or some sort of frilled serpent. It had some decoration around the head and it was just a snake. The other, which was the front image for the sea serpent, the one that they put with the term the Great American Sea Serpent, actually had a fairly thick body like torso, trunk area, six limbs coming off of it. So three pairs of arms or legs, depending on how you want to look at it. A spine fin of some sort going down the back. A long-ish neck with a very long tail coming off. Mm -hmm. So not actually very serpent-like. Right. Uh, just very long-bodied. And then in 1860, we got our first sea serpent corpse washed up on the shore. Oh. Yes, in Bermuda, in Hungry Bay. Came out of that triangle. Right? Right out of the triangle <laughs> came an oarfish. Yep, that, that tracks. But was described as the great American sea serpent when the body was found. Oh, cool. The oarfish officially is the, the actual animal for the great American sea serpent based on those reports given from this Bermuda sea serpent. Wow, so for for yep. the uninitiated. An oarfish is the longest bony fish alive today. They live at deep down, 500 to 1,000 feet, and long-bodied, scaleless, with this continuous fin going down the back, a very flat face with a little upturned mouth, and two long, like, kind of feeler fins coming off. They often have, like, the... Fins on top can often be very bright red colored. And the longest confirmed was 36 feet long or 11 meters. Ooh. So long animals. Yeah, big fish. Sea serpent. And a lot of people have pointed to this fish to be like, it's long, it's serpentine, it's got a big fin down the back that looks like a mane, it's got a weird not fish-like face that could fit the blunt faces that people often describe. So it's been pointed at as... The sea serpent. Right. This is the animal to the extent that a single species exactly. can exactly. be used to explain all these various sightings. The animal. Well, it's it's the one whose body was identified as a sea serpent. Exactly. It's <laughs> the one who we went, oh, we found one. Right. Here it is. <laughs> but there are other animals that people have pointed out. One, because a lot of people have often pointed connections between sea serpents and the Asian dragon, the long serpentine dragon, the Dragon Ball Z dragon, mm -hmm. and wondering if the sea serpent and those dragons had a similar animal inspiration. Uh, a lot of people pointed to the frilled shark, which is known from Asian waters, 
and is a not very long shark. They only get to be about six and a half feet, so two meters. But long, slim body. They're a deep water shark, and they're called frilled sharks because their gills are exaggerated. They're very, like, exposed. They're larger than you would expect for a shark that size, and the red, you know, blood-filled material of the gills is actually often visible and it gives them almost this frill-like feathery collar around okay. the head kind of mane like kind of mane like and so a lot of people have said maybe it could be one of those uh, another one that people have pointed out is the basking shark okay and so basking sharks are one of the largest fish today like weight wise and size wise it's not quite as big as the whale shark but is another filter feeding big shark and they have this big old mouth that they open up and just go right along the surface, filtering out krill and plankton and all that good stuff. But their snout on the upper side of the jaw has a little nose that sticks off. It's not flat like a whale shark's. It's got a little snout that is more notable. And people have thought that the size of the animal could look very serpentine just because it's long. And that when the mouth is open, if you just see that nose sticking out, it could look like a little head. Okay. A, a smaller head than the actual animals poking out of the water. And so you could get a serpent look from that. Uh, a lot of people also blame that on the famous plesiosaur body that washed up years ago. Mm -hmm. And most people have said that it's it was most likely a decaying basking shark with the fins and spine still roughly intact. So you had what looked like four big fins and a long neck. Yeah. So the basking shark has, has been pointed out for multiple sea creature sightings because it is a weird animal that is rarely seen, so people aren't usually familiar with it. Right, and it's big. It's big. Fits the bill. Yes. And then, of course, there are indeed sea serpents. Yes, <laughs> there, there most certainly are. Sea snakes, sea crates exist, so if people are familiar with these, that could be inspiration enough for larger versions of them. there's There's been stories of giant snakes as long as we've known about snakes. Mm -hmm. So and there are indeed actual sea serpents that could be the inspiration. Right. Although I think, and I don't know off the top of my head, I think sea snakes, real sea snakes, get maybe a couple meters long? Yeah. The largest one is the yellow sea snake, which gets up to almost 10 feet long, so three meters. Okay. Not to be confused with the yellow-bellied sea snake. Yes. <laughs> which is a different sea snake. Yeah, no. This is uh, Hydrophis <laughs> spiralis. Right. And so they do get, you know, de that's decent. That's a good size. And, you know, that's... that's e for any snake. Intimidating enough. So there are a few potentially inspiring animals that could have caused this. Right, right. Now, unlike the Kraken, I don't have a lot of details on, like, behavior and stuff because which sea serpent are you talking about? Right. Some are shown spitting spouts of water. Like, like in Avatar. Yes, exactly. Like a fire hose. It's like a water-breathing dragon. It's just spraying water. Others have been described with blowholes, okay. and that's the water they're spraying. Others have been described with the mains, some just serpentine, some reptilian. Uh, funnily enough, most of the descriptions don't describe them as fish. It's okay. usually much more serpent, much more reptilian, sometimes even kind of mammalian with the mane and stuff. Yeah. But they are not described as finned, scaled, you know, fishy. Uh, which is why some people pointed the oarfish, because they aren't scaled. Right. So they wouldn't appear, their skin is not fish-like. Uh, so they've got a lot of different descriptions. Some just pass by ships. There are also 
famous artworks of them coiling around and crushing ships, of them taking sailors off of, you know, the deck. So the the degree of monstrousness varies story to story. In many of the, like, myth, mythological tales, they were epic monsters. Right. You know, big deal, sometimes, like, embodiments of evil. Right. This is this is the thing you have to face in exactly. order to get to whatever you're... Save the princess from the castle or yeah. whatever. Save the princess from the golden fleece to get the golden grail. Right. <laughs> All that stuff. <laughs> so there's not as much clear behavior to go on. And so we've got a couple of uh, of interesting features to work with here. Yeah, which I, I have a, I have some ideas. Mm-hmm. But for starters, what interests me is this question of a long aquatic organism. Yes. So as we uh, try to evolve this creature, right? What are our starting points? What are organisms we can start from or draw inspiration from? Uh, to create, regardless of other features, a long serpent-like body. Yes. And uh, I think an important note to make as we start to think about this is the way the sea serpents are often described moving might affect which animals we draw from. Oh, this is true. Many depictions of sea serpents have them undulating. So that's that serpentine back and forth movement. While serpents and fish go side to side horizontally, most stories of sea serpents, or at least the classic depictions, are them going up and down out of the water. One report even described them as caterpillar-like. That right. it was like, you know, undulating, doing the worm through the water, up and down, which is not how your, most of reptiles or fish move. Yes. Uh, so we there is some interesting... and. Many of the stories describe them holding their head up out of the water. Right, which is one that is very intriguing Mm -hmm. because I don't know of an animal that habitually does that. Yeah, like I know of snakes that do that when they're looking around. Yeah. Yeah, that would kind of do a little, I don't know, like sit up. (laughs) Right. I've seen a a video of water snakes Mm -hmm. having caught a fish holding it up out yes, of the water. Yes, yes, I have seen that. As they swim. And of course, uh, snakes will sometimes swim near the surface because they have to breathe. Mm-hmm. You know, even sea snakes, you have to breathe uh, air. So you do have to come up and surface. So you might pop your head up out of the water. Yeah. Uh, there are uh, uh, whales that will do, uh, what do they call it? Spy hopping. Sp- spy hopping, right, yep. right, right. That they'll come up. And well, I, I guess they're just surveying yeah, the landscape. Like orcas will do well, it the, to the see sea, what the seascape. Yes, <laughs> orcas and great whites have been known to do it to see if there are seals on the beach. Uh, uh, okay, they're coming up and going, "Nope, no food here," and actually looking for food, uh, while others could be looking for other members or you know how close to land they are. Yeah. And so, yeah, there is a reason to stick their head out. Uh, One idea that comes to me, both because of the behavior and it was suggested way back in the day by those early naturalists, is seals can can absolutely swim around and poke their heads up to look around. And that was one of the ideas someone suggested, was that maybe this is some sort of seal or sea lion that we've not yet discovered, a long-bodied, long-necked seal which is a similar explanation people have given for Loch Ness. Mm -hmm. And then people also said, maybe it's a plesiosaur, which most people went, no, it's not. Right. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But uh, a a long-bodied seal was suggested. Interesting. As a potential identification. 
So yeah, that it, it, the the idea of that bodily motion mm-hmm. means either you need your neck at least to pop up, yeah, or that up and down motion, which, as we've discussed on the podcast, up and down is a much more mammalian thing. Yeah. Think dolphins and how dogs and cats run up and down, as opposed to a lot of most other animals go side to side. Yeah. Lizards and how they run, snakes and how they slither, but. I know of very few animals that show that degree of flexibility in the Mm -hmm. spine in order to... I don't know any mammal that shows such a degree of flexibility that it can slinky its body up and down. Snakes are really one of the... You know, snakes and other long snake-like lizards have really achieved that kind of up and down feature to them. Yeah, and uh, another idea I had is... Just because the the swimming motion is up and down, that doesn't preclude it from being fish. Because there are fish, like flounders, that yes. swim sideways. I, I had the same thought. Yeah. So, you like, a, a oarfish swimming horizontally could absolutely produce that motion. Yep. And I had the other thought, and this is, we, we come to this a lot. I'm going to throw it out there. Even if your sea serpent isn't flexible enough to have several lumps sticking out of the water at the same mm-hmm. time... From a distance, a group of them doing yes. that yep, yep. could very much look like several humps of the same animal. Absolutely. Well, one thing that I, I find myself thinking is trying to come up with a very large serpentine ocean creature is an interest, kind of like the Kraken, where with the Kraken we were like, oh, okay, well, where do we start? And the reality is, well, we already have starting points for yes. that. And in the real world, we already have starting points for that. There are a few. There are sea snakes in the fossil record that got to very long. Yeah, like uh, same size as today's biggest snakes. Right, right. So there were, you know, perhaps 9, 10 meter, right, 30 foot long sea snakes way back uh, early Cenozoic, I believe. Yeah, which is, that's big. That's, That's nice and big. You have, obviously, fish. There are lots of snake-like fish. The oarfish. There are eels. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what the biggest eels are. The biggest eels are your moray eels. And there's two. The giant moray, which is very similar to the green moray that you typically see in aquariums, but a bit more patterned. But big. Bigger. Can reach 9.8 feet long or 3 meters and weigh 66 pounds or 30 kilograms. While the longest is the slender giant moray eel, which can get almost four meters long. Okay. Uh, so so uh, you can get ones that are pushing 10 to 12 feet, and that's about as big as eels get. And then there's the point to be made. And honestly, when we said we were going to do sea serpents, my very first thought yep. was mosasaurs. Yeah. Because mosasaurs actually kind of were sea serpents. They... they really do fit the bill in a lot of ways. They are lizards. Yep. They were lizards. So mosasaurs, the extinct group of aquatic reptiles, they were part of the lizard family tree. They still are. They're just not here anymore. They had long bodies, Mm -hmm. uh, especially the tail, because a lot of aquatic animals end up having long tails uh, for propulsion. Yep. And they would have had multiple sets of, of... Flippers. Yes. Right? Two pairs of flippers. I, I don't know how we're going to get six, if we want to get six. Uh, but, you know, front flippers, back flippers, and then long pointed faces. Yes. And cease, I, I mean, 
a Mosasaur, and uh, some of them have been depicted and partially described as having potentially fins. Yes. Uh, particularly on the tail, I believe, having some sort of fin-like structures running along the upper side of the tail. Yeah, absolutely. So you could certainly end up with a lizard-like creature like mm -hmm. that. Uh, I feel like there's also, it's worth to mention, since we're going with prehistoric animals, Basilosaurus. That was the next one I was going to mention. Which is named Saurus because <laughs> it was so long and serpentine that they assumed it had to be a reptile. Right. But which it was actually an early whale. Basically a mosasaur mammal. Yep. Right, they got, so both Mosasaurs and Basilosaurs got up in the 50 foot, yeah. you know, 15 meter range. Massive. Which is what separates them, I think, from options like sea snakes and eels and most serpentine fish is that those animals actually did reach yeah. mythical sea serpent proportions. Well, it's, yeah, those two groups already are the size of the HMS sighting. The, the 60, the, the deadless? Yeah, the daedalus. And so, like, we already have the right size. We'd have to scale, you know, we, at minimum take the largest sea snake and then double it. Right. Which is, you know, as we're making monsters here, but... We're making monsters. We do already have giant whale lizards and giant whales that would have very serpentine bodies, would have very fitting features. Yeah. Which raises some questions about why you end up with those features. Yeah. You know, why do you get big? We've talked about this numerous times in Spooky mm -hmm. because so many monsters are enormous. That you can get big for defense. Yep. To keep yourself warm uh, because being bigger helps retain body heat. Being big can be helpful depending on what your environment is. If you're traveling long distances, yeah. whales are better at that than just about any other animals in the ocean. Yep. So there's lots of reasons to be big. It can expand your, your food options. The bigger you get, the more things you can eat. Absolutely. Uh, if you're protecting your young, yeah. being big can be helpful for being protective. Being long. Yeah. In the ocean, propulsion. Yes. I mean, you look at the way an eel swims. Undulation's real efficient. And it's just, you know, you think of a, a, a shark. Mm -hmm. And it's moving its tail back and forth. Well, an eel that can undulate rapidly or a snake that can do that can basically do that all the way down the body. Yes. Your whole body is functions like the tail pushing you along. It also gives you a couple of different maneuver options that other animals don't have. Eels can throw it into reverse. That's true. You know, they can back up more easily. A shark can't, like physically doesn't have the shape to go into reverse. Most fish don't unless they're using their front fins to push backward. But like, yeah, an eel can just kind of reverse the undulation and back up for a moment and K-turn yeah. away really easily. So uh, it makes you maneuverable. Very maneuverable. It makes you uh, hydrodynamic. Yeah. Right? You're cutting down on... The drag the, from the, the water. The drag, yeah, exactly. Um, actually, speaking of groups that have done this, we should also mention the sea crocs. Oh, yes, absolutely. From way back in the in the Mesozoic where you had ocean-dwelling crocodiliforms. Yeah, the the Latasukians. Yep, which got big. Yeah, not quite Mosasaur big, but they were no. like big crocodile. And like. they had long tails to use mm -hmm. for undulating like crocs do today. Absolutely. So, yeah, there's been a number of groups that get big, get long to be out in the water. Uh, another benefit to the being slender is it allows you to 
do some tricks like both eels and like hagfish and i think i've seen sea snakes do this can you can tie yourself into knots and stuff mm-hmm. to like get a grip and pull better on things oh that's yeah you can wrap around so you can coil yes you can coil and that lets you both maneuver your food more easily and also defend yourself in interesting ways uh so you're you're more agile in a lot of even if it's not speed wise like you can do some interesting things with your body that others can't yeah now all of this talk of the very variable nature of of these kinds of body shapes brings me to a thought that i had (laughs) while you were discussing this and that is i want to throw it out there something we've never really done in spooky before Given that there's so much variation in sea serpent mythology and so many different stories of them, it could very well be that sea serpents are polyphyletic. Yes, absolutely. Evolutionarily, which is to say they don't share a common sea serpent ancestor, that that form is convergent. Well, it's... it's it has shown up multiple times. Yeah. Because in the real world... It has. Yes, we see large sea snakes and mosasaurs and bacillosaurs. Yeah, that has happened multiple times. Yeah, well, it's it, it's almost eerie sometimes to see how snake-like an eel is, it, especially in like how they move. You know, eels don't always swim. A lot of times they do slither across the seafloor, and it looks basically like you're watching a snake on dry land. Yes, like and snakes in the water are using the same motion that they use on land. Yep. It's a good way to move. And so there's absolutely... The thought that comes to my mind is the classic how how often shoreline predators end up looking very croc-like. Mm-hmm. So yeah, if there was a benefit to being a big sea serpent, you know, a mythologically sized sea serpent, then why wouldn't multiple groups do it? Yeah. I I don't dislike that point. So uh, in this hypothesis of mine, if we go with it, I would basically propose the idea of a world, a spooky verse, if you will, where much like the late Triassic. Yeah. Right. In the late Triassic, several groups of land reptiles Mm -hmm. went into the water and developed into large aquatic reptiles. Yes. In the later Mesozoic, you had at least three major groups of very large aquatic reptiles. And you can even look at today, you know, there are lots of different groups that are shark-shaped. Yes, There are multiple groups that are Mm stingray-shaped. That you could have a world where, for whatever reason, there is a selective pressure that is favoring... This particular body shape, this particular life strategy, that is convergently touched upon by different groups. Yeah, and I I don't dislike that. That's actually pretty cool. Which and what that would let us do if we if we like it is it could mean that the up and down motion is explained by this group, this group, and the mains are explained in this group, mm-hmm. and the the scaliness is over here and maybe there's one that does spit water yeah exactly that maybe we actually do cover all of the bases yeah. with our convergence no i i actually really like that well because there's also an argument to be made for potential you know mimicry even maybe there is a reason that's benefit benefits one of them to look like another of the group absolutely because that one's left alone because it happens to be because it's a big sea snake and it is venomous Right. <laughs> and so if I 
Because if we do have one that's a giant sea snake and it is venomous, then if I'm a giant eel, it might help me to have a similar patterning and also be a similar size and length. It might benefit them to look like that highly venomous giant snake. Yeah, and in fact, uh, actually, you could even have it where one particular group pops its head up out of the water or does the undulating mm-hmm. up and down thing and that drives the evolution of those traits in other groups yes who are mimicking that to to sort of pick up on that this is scary this keeps things away from us mm-hmm. yeah i'm going to not only mimic your look but your behavior i do like that i actually like that a lot yeah well it's, it's got like the snake-headed caterpillar feel to it where it's, yes it's i'm going to imitate something bigger and scarier than myself so we could and it, if that's the case we can feasibly come up with a scenario where yeah we have a group of lizards mm-hmm. who has either descended from or converged again upon a mosasaur like body shape yeah. which has limbs and actually looks very much like the picture just except that one had a long neck small head versus the the big you know, varanid crocodilian head. Yup. And you could have a sea snake mm-hmm. that grows to larger sizes, especially if there's nothing else out competing it for whatever it's trying to go for. Yeah. You could have a fish group do it. You could, if, listen, I'll bring you into the fold. Right. We could have a croc do it. We could have a croc do it. <laughs> ain't no reason not to. Well, and also, I, I like eel as one of them because they also have a fin down the back. That's true. Which... Is not as mane like as maybe uh, uh, the oarfish, but is definitely a a back decoration that, if it were especially you know pronounced, could look mane like when it's out of the water. And so I do like having eel as as one of the potential serpents. Absolutely, and as as we mention often, typically evolutionary trends do not have one reason. Yes. There's usually multiple selective pressures causing, you know, pushing natural selection in any particular direction. So you could end up with, yeah, maybe there's some mimicry going on in certain circumstances, but then you could also just end up with a arms race of size. Yes. If you have multiple groups of predators that are competing for similar food sources especially if some of the serpents are food sources. Yes, absolutely. Right? There's no rule that says all of our serpents have to be hyper predators. Mm-hmm. You could have something that is being fed upon by the other serpents, and now they're driving each other's size up mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in this arms race. Yep. And I, I like that a lot. You could also have, like, you know... If, for things like spraying water, that could very easily be a bacillosaur-like whale that's just spouting water and very long and thin. That's true. So you could have some really easy uh, uh, solutions that way. And I I had the idea, and I don't know that it needs to be added in, but you could also have those, the, the snake-headed caterpillar made me think of it, of things that poke their head up to look like a sea serpent, but beneath the water stop looking like a sea serpent immediately. Right. Like, I've I've developed a longer neck as a seal so that I can pretend to be a sea serpent and scare off other sea predator. serpent. Yeah. No, because, like, way down the way, the other serpent is poking its head up 
and you do that and they see you and they go, oh, I'm not going to go all the way yeah. over there. There's a sea serpent over and there. And there's really only two or three more feet of seal beneath the water. Yes, exactly. <laughs> And if they have to breathe, then that is a perfectly good excuse to pop your your face up. Yes, absolutely. And and mosasaurs, snakes, and whales get us that real easy. Yep, all have to breathe. Mm-hmm. I li- I actually really like that idea. It kind of is a speculative evolution, not of a creature, but of an a global ecosystem. Yes, that's exactly what I was thinking. Kind of dominated by where the mega predators are multiple groups or you know the largest animals yeah are multiple groups that have hit upon this same in much the way that whale sharks and whales and other really big fish are kind of doing the same thing yep in today's world well it's it's i like your example with sharks that's like we have dolphins we have sharks today we have very shark-like fish bony fish that it's it you know in the past we had ichthyosaurs that were very shark-like mm-hmm if if this were a world that the successful body plan for whatever reason ended up being large serpentine instead of shark right you know so now you have the big successful predators all have gone a very sea serpent route cuz that's what became beneficial yeah i actually really like that yeah if you have a scenario where the way that different Life in the ocean is basically adapting around this body style. Mm-hmm. That being able to move in that particular way, that being flexible, being able to wrap around things. Maybe there's a lot of prey that that spend time in narrow areas and exactly. being narrow is hell. That behaviorally ocean ecosystems kind of mean you have to be ready to deal with this body form. Either you need to defend against it or you need to have it. Yeah, you need to compete with it. And so we have that same pressure going after similar prey in similar situations and avoiding similar predators. Mm-hmm. Multiple groups in the ocean end up being successful doing the same thing. Yeah. And another thing that I thought about that I kind of like about this is it means that different groups might dominate different areas. Exactly. So like... Scoliophus atlanticus, the <laughs> great American Atlantic sea serpent. If the, for example, the actual sea snakes that have grown to be large, you know, titanoboa-sized sea snakes. Yep. If we infer, if we assume, if we make up that those are descended from modern sea snake lineages, well, there aren't sea snakes in the Atlantic. Yeah. But, and this is bending time a little bit, North America is famous for both bacillosaurids and giant mosasaurs. Yep. So we can have different regimes. Absolutely. Where uh, certain groups have sort of taken over in place of other groups. Well, and that also explains why we have so many serpentine groups that have gotten to similar sizes. Because most of them are not commonly directly competing with each other. They're filling the same sea serpent niche, uh, niche in those different ecosystems, in those different right. regions. And you could have some that you can have some that are open water. Yeah. The way that big whales are today, the way that eels might very well, mm-hmm. our giant eels might be, uh, the way that our big mosasaur, mm-hmm. you know, style sea serpents could be. And because the open water is so dominated by those, others might be driven more towards the shallows. Yeah. And thus more likely to be encountered by our uh, uh hapless inhabitants of our spooky verse yes exactly <laughs> uh, foolishly sailing their ships up and down the coasts our our 
ever increasingly uh, dire yeah. populace. <laughs> Every year it gets worse. Yep. The other reason I like the polyphyletic uh, solution, this this idea, is that it also gives us different behaviors very easily. It can explain why, for many stories, they just swim by and don't care, and then on others they seem much more aggressive because they could be territorial. You know, it could be a mosasaur that defends a territory and is more willing to go after a boat, you know, or a fishing vessel that it sees as a potential threat. You could have very different experiences. It's like interacting with, um, it's, it's like interacting with crocs, like alligators here in North America. Are, yeah, you're fine. Yeah. Did you go to Australia? Yeah, don't go near the water. <laughs> and it's stuff like that. So I, I like it because then we can have different temperaments. And I, I like the idea because that flexibility is really a key feature for a lot of these sea serpents. Yeah, right? whenever they're drawn, it's just like spirals and corkscrews and twists and turns. Right, which whales don't do. Mosasaurs didn't do. Mm-mm. You know, they were built like whales, built like sharks with a fairly rigid body. Because they're not undulating. They're, they're swimming with tail propulsion. Yes, exactly. But snakes can do it. Eels can do it. And if we are picky about which lizards give rise Mm -hmm. to this group, you could pick a group like skinks. I was going to say, if we had some of those long-bodied skinks. And now you have a group that already has kind of taken on this flexible, lengthy body plan, and then, like sea snakes, make their way into the water. Yeah, absolutely. And end up developing this large, larger body size while retaining that serpentine flexibility. So you can end up with at least three, you know, we could say a sea snake group, a lizard mm-hmm. group, if not proper mosasaurs, something that has done a similar thing, but held on to that serpentine shape. Yeah. And at least one group of eels could easily have done yeah. it. And now you've got these three big groups, one of which has the fins that we, we like to see so much. Yeah. One of which could easily have scales around the head that looked like a mane. Oh yeah, like the the lizards absolutely could have uh, decoration. You know, lizards are often decorated for intraspecific competition and and signaling. Yeah, for for territorial displays mm-hmm. or for threat displays or for mating or whatever. Yeah. Cool. I do like that. And like most sea snakes today are they're venomous, but they're harmless to people for the most part because they're not going after people. Right. And from what I've heard, most of them can't penetrate a wetsuit. Like, uh, yeah, like, I believe that. That they're they're not going after things that they need big, huge fangs for. So most sea snakes are not threats to people. And a lizard I could see going either way. But eels absolutely can be nasty. Yeah. Like, if there was a giant eel and there was a, a, a small enough boat with people on it, They've been known to attack people <laughs> yeah, and, you know, remove digits. And if that's the one that is our aggressive, if the others are just scary looking mm-hmm. <laughs> and this is the one that's actually scary, that also means that we get to have the horrifying way of it eating people with the internal pharyngeal jaw. Yes. Multiple pairs of jaws. So that it bites you and then releases you for a second and a second pair of jaws grabs and then just pulls you down the throat. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so what you would see as the person on the boat is your person just inhaled, just like pulled into the jaws by an unseen force <laughs> and then gone. Another thing we can invoke is that um, most of the time when reptiles evolve out into the water, they give live birth. Yes. But 
if one of our groups, uh, for like example, a lizard group evolving out into this snaky mosasaur type creature, mm-hmm. if they retain egg laying, that not only gives them a reason to hold on to a little bit of walking ability. Yes, absolutely. Uh, hold on to those limbs, but also gives them another reason to be by the shore mm-hmm. and another reason to be poking their heads up. In fact, here's a, th- I just thought about this. If they are protective. Yeah. Yep. 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 And even, even if they're not laying eggs on land or maybe they're, they're ha- giving birth in the shallows or something, you could have that popping the head up thing be a, I'm on the lookout yeah. for things from the land or, or from the air that are going to threaten my babies or my eggs. Absolutely. And there were a couple, that, like not many, but there was at least one description of sea serpents that hunt on land, you know, that would come ashore and take sheep and livestock like in the night because that's when all monsters attack. Right. Uh, so like the idea of a sea serpent coming ashore is not unheard of. So yeah, you could absolutely have a... We could have semi-aquatic sea serpents. Which is a good place for your croc serpents. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah, it is. (laughs) And the other nice thing I like about invoking lizards and invoking fish, something that snakes doesn't quite give you, uh, crocs doesn't quite give you, and mammals uh, doesn't quite uh, necessarily give you, is that lizards and fish both allow us to do both provide a lot of options for ornamentation. Yes, absolutely. Fins and frills, and I'm thinking of the the one in The Last Airbender that has, like, the whiskers coming yep, off the yep, face. Yep, the barbels. Yep, yep. Which lizards and fish tend, to, in many cases, to be very visual and yeah, very, very flamboyant. flamboyant. Their... And those could be threat displays, like mm-hmm. you said. So you could have dull and boring sea serpents. And you could have really eccentric... Ostentatious. Ostentatious sea serpents. Yes, exactly. No, I'd like that point a, a lot. And there are some, like, eels that are very decorated, like, very brightly colored. And some of them have little, like, spines on their noses and stuff. So, yeah, I like that a lot. Cool. Also, I like that we came up with a cool idea for this because it means that I don't have to invoke the first thought that I had even before we started this episode which is that it is that the sea serpent is just our kraken doing the mimic octopus right? thing. I, I had the exact <laughs> same thought of like we can't just say cephalopods for the rest of <laughs> the whole, 2020 all of spooky. All of spooky. It's all cephalopods. <laughs> it's just the krakens in a conga line. Honestly, all all of our spooky monsters. Oh yeah, are they're all hydra? The yep. uh, octopus. Yep. Yep. It's kraken cephalopod. There's a shirt that my friend shared with me. That is a picture, and it's it's it was titled something like a bunch of animals that are definitely not octopus. Oh yes, I've seen this. And it was just octopuses in posed in different shapes as different animals. Yep. And one of them was a snake, which was just all of the arms visible, and then one arm up. That was like <laughs> really geniusly done. <laughs> and yeah, that's all I'm picturing now. But this sea serpents, these sea serpents could very definitely be both. Some of the predators that drive yes our krakens to their large size absolutely, and some of the inspiration for certain threat displays. Well, and the nice thing when you're dealing with big animals like this, uh, especially with egg layers like our krakens would be, is that you do not start out where you end up in the food chain. Yes, you know, like baby whales still have predators, but a baby whale is still a whale. 
like baby whales are huge. They're bigger than most of our cars. So it's already outside of most people's menu, you know, other than other whales, Mm -hmm. you know, orcas, orcas break all the rules because they're terrifying. But if you're hatching from an egg, then even the krakens are still easy prey most of their life until they reach their, you know, 40, 50 feet long. And then now they have to, uh, they're fine. But up until then, they could be easy prey for these sea serpents. And I saw a whole YouTube video one time discussing why cephalopods were so smart. And their entire thesis was because they're so yummy. (laughs) Everything will eat cephalopods. Squishy and chewy. Almost every animal at the aquarium, every sea animal had squid as part of its diet because no one says no to squid (laughs) so yeah they could be very tasty animals that got big to avoid it another thing i kind of like about this our theoretical ocean where things are built around this undulatory form of swimming is that it also suggests the existence of smaller sized sea serpents yes absolutely that this could be i I hesitate to say in place of sharks no because they'll be sharks sharks but yeah, you could easily have either other species that don't get as big or the young that are in different niches that li- occupy different environments and different habitats mm-hmm. and different times of their life, which are your 10 foot and 20 foot sea serpents. Well, and another thing that if the serpentine body plan is so successful, it, it makes me question what is the ocean floor and the ocean environment like in the spooky verse? Because... One of the big benefits for sea snakes and eels is being able to go into spaces where fish would be hiding. Right. So it makes me wonder if, like, if reef systems are ridiculously bigger in right. the spooky verse, and, and that's what allows for this giant serpentine body plan to be so successful. Yeah, absolutely. I had that that thought of yeah, well, if, especially because like basilosaurs and mosasaurs have those enormous like five foot heads. Oh yes, you know, person sized heads. But snakes and eels tend not to, you know, even the biggest snakes today, their heads are still proportionally snake-sized. Mm-hmm. So a, even a giant sea snake, you know, the biggest sea snakes today, well, your head is still a little thing on the end. Yes. So you could feasibly be very big and long, but your head is still, you could still poke inside of things and, and, and try to forage for stuff. Yeah. Which is, it's all the shipwrecks that are just littering the floor in this. That must be it, because it's full of monsters. <laughs> yep. It's just all the, it, it the entire seafloor looks like that, that one scene in Pirates of the Caribbean where it's just ships. <laughs> <laughs> when you first said it, mm-hmm. I was not sure I was going to be sold on a, a Me neither. polyphyletic sea serpent It's It's a little bit of a cop-out. It, it, it is a <laughs> it little bit. It felt a little bit like a cop-out. Of, well, there sure are a bunch of descriptions for sea serpents, so there's a bunch of sea serpents. They're all right. Thanks for listening. Uh, right. <laughs> but... But I actually do like it from, like, an ecological point of view. It gave us... It, well, it gives us the opportunity to discuss convergence. Yes. Because that's something that, you know... The whole point of spooky and speculative evolution in general is to play with evolutionary concepts and and try to apply them in fun, hypothetical ways. And yeah, realistically, if some of these monstrous forms we're developing are successful enough to to lead to these famous creatures, mm-hmm. then yeah, you probably would see some convergence now and then. Well, it's it's uh, no animal lives in a vacuum. Like yeah. 
that you know if if this body plan is successful for one group it could very well be successful for another and indeed uh in our spooky verse if we are treating it as a developing whole global ecosystem uh, the, these are not the ocean is not the only place where we're getting large serpentine bodies nah, sure isn't because we also have that with a couple of our greek monsters yes which i like <laughs> very cool so that, i'm pretty happy with the with our sea serpent solution yeah so we've got so far this this month of mm-hmm. this year in our spooky we've got giant social displaying cephalopods mm-hmm and we've got several lineages of convergently evolved, flexible, ornamented, very large sea serpent creatures. Absolutely. Very cool. So check in in a week for our next sea monster. <laughs> we've got two more to go. Two more. For this year of Spooky. Hopefully you're enjoying it. As always, let us know. Mm-hmm. We love getting comments and feedback on these discussions, especially because the... This, more than anything else we do, is for fun. Oh, yes. This is just just to exercise your brain and to explore ideas. Toying with the science toolbox. So if if you were inspired by an idea for either of these monsters or the monsters to come, let us know if you had cool ideas for uh, how our sea serpents could be explained or what a kraken really is. Let us know. Throw them our way. And with that, thanks for listening, and we'll see you in a week. See you soon for more spooky. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Common Descent Podcast. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and check our WordPress blog for pictures and links after each episode. Huge thanks to our patrons whose support helps keep this podcast running and who get access to bonus goodies on Patreon. The song you're hearing is called On the Origin of Species by Protodome, which we found at ocremix.org. Thanks again for listening. We hope you'll join us next time.